Hey, welcome into Positive Live. We're bringing a positive influence into this world and into your life. And hi, I'm Bob Miles. And today's episode is going to be on Trust Me One Day at a Time. And from Matthew 6.34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus tells us to live one day at a time. He tells us not to worry about tomorrow, like it says in Matthew 6.34. He tells us to ask God for our daily provision from Matthew 6.11. And we know that God's mercies are new each morning from Lamentations 3.22 and 23. So Rick Warren writes, Trust Jesus one day at a time. There are two days you should never worry about, yesterday and tomorrow. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will have its own worries. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that's again from Matthew 6.34. You can't live in the past. You can't live in the future. You can only live today. Why should you only live one day at a time? First, when you worry about tomorrow's problems, you miss the blessings of today. And second, you cannot solve tomorrow's problems with today's power. When tomorrow arrives, God will give you the power, perspective, grace, and wisdom you need. When I was a kid, I didn't worry about anything I needed in my life. Instead, I just went to my dad or mom and told them what I needed. I was never once concerned about how they were going to meet our needs because they took on that responsibility. God wants you to be the same with him. Out of Matthew 6.30 says, If God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he be more surely care for you? When you worry, you assume responsibility that God never intended for you to have. You may be worrying today about a lot of things that are really God's responsibility. In fact, every time you worry, it's a warning that you're playing God and that you believe it all depends upon you. You're acting like you don't have a heavenly father who will feed and lead and meet your needs. The Bible does not say, give us this day our weekly bread. It says, give us this day our daily bread, from Matthew 6.11. So God wants you to depend on him one day at a time. He will provide everything you need for today. Because he is a good God, you can trust that you will lack nothing. It's okay to plan for tomorrow. But don't worry about it. Trust God for each day as it comes. At the height of the pandemic, one of the most difficult items to find in America was toilet paper. From large box stores to small family grocery stores, toilet paper was scarce. And when a shipment did come in, stores had to limit buyers to just one package. As strange as it might seem, toilet paper represented peace of mind for consumers during a trying time. Even if a home already had one or two packages, it always helped to have one more because you just never know. Americans in particular love to stockpile supplies. We want to be prepared for the worst. Whether another pandemic strikes, a natural disaster occurs, or the end of the world arrives, we believe our surplus of non-perishables will see us through. Having those items in and of themselves is not bad, but is our faith misplaced? Do we place more trust in items that might help us in the future or in the God of the universe who has promised he will care for his children? Stockpiling items is just one small example of how we might misplace our trust and dependence. We also do this through codependency on other people. 
trusting in our career, 401k, and security systems. Again, these are not bad things on their own, and if used in correct ways, but does this pattern declare our trust in God or a false comfort and contentment found in man-made objects and systems? Throughout Scripture, God continually directs the hearts of his people back to him for their daily needs. Only God can satisfy our every need, physical and spiritual. One of the most well-known examples of God providing for the daily needs of his people is found in Exodus 16. In this chapter, the Israelites have left Egypt, and as they travel in the wilderness, they begin to grumble that there is no food. In their physical discomfort, they preferred to return to their bondage in Egypt where there were was plenty. Instead of trusting God, who had already done great miracles to save them, despite their complaints, God provided for them once again as he rained down manna each morning. The Israelites were only to gather what they needed for that day. If they gathered more than they needed, the manna wouldn't rot and stink. In this way, God taught the people an important lesson of dependence, trust and worship to the only God who could fill their stomachs but more importantly, their hearts. God cares for the needs of his children. Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew 6, 26, when he says, Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? His care and provision of our needs might not always look like we want them to or be provided in the way we think, but he does provide according to his will. When we think about Jesus and his time on earth, we remember that he had no place to call his own and only the clothes on his back. So in Matthew 8:20 it says, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus completely depended on the Father to provide for his physical needs. But more than physical needs, God provides for the spiritual needs of his children. God's provision of the manna was meant to turn their hearts to him in gratitude and worship. Followers of Christ are called to depend on God with each new day. In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.11, Jesus provides us with an example as he prays. Give us today our daily bread. This daily bread is for both spiritual and physical needs. Jesus makes it clear that they are daily. With each new morning, we are called to seek the Lord to provide us with what we need for the day ahead. God alone knows what we will face with each passing day, and he equips us to face it in his strength. His faithfulness to his children abounds day after day and year after year. When we read the account of the manna from heaven in Exodus 16, it is easy to breeze past verse 35 and miss the weight of the statement found there. But this verse tells us much about our steadfast God and how he never tires as he cares for his children. Exodus 16.35 says, The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they reached the border of the land of Canaan. For 40 years, or 14,600 days, God provided manna for the people of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness. But his provision did not stop there. 
The method simply changed as the people arrived to the promised land, which flowed with milk and honey. God gave them exactly what they needed for as long as they needed it. If you find yourself in a season where putting one foot in front of the other is all you can do, that is exactly where the Father wants you. Our hearts flourish when we depend on God because He is our portion. Total dependence on God is where we grow and trust that He will provide a way. It may not be the way we thought, but it is His way, which is always best. As you rise each morning, ask God to give you what you need for today. Of course, we can pray for things in the future, but as we approach each day, we seek a fresh start filled with the Spirit to declare God's faithfulness with our lives. So next, I'd like to talk about the story of Job in the Bible. So in the Bible story from the book of Job, there is a wealthy man named Job residing in an area called Uz. With an extended family and vast flocks, he is a blameless and upright constantly mindful to live in the righteous manner. God mentions Job to Satan, saying, There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. However, Satan contends that Job is only righteous because God has favored him generously. Satan dares God that, if given the approval to inflict suffering, Job will change and curse God. God permits Satan to abuse Job to experiment with this brazen claim, but he forbids Satan to take Job's life in the manner. Over the time of one day, Job is given four reports, each informing him that his sheep, servants, and ten children have all died due to thieving, intruders, or natural disasters. Job rips his clothes and shaves his head in sorrow. Yet he still praises God in his prayers. Satan arrives in heaven again, and God allows him another opportunity to test Job. This time Job is distressed with terrible skin sores. His wife urges him to denounce God and to give up and die. But Job protests, trying to endure his inflictions. Three of Job's companions, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, arrived to comfort him, sitting with Job in silence for seven days out of reverence for his grieving. On the seventh day, Job talks, starting a discussion in which each of the four men shares his reflections on Job's troubles in poetic descriptions. Job damns the day he was born, relating life and death to light and darkness. He hopes that his birth had been obscured in darkness and desires to have never been born, believing that life only increases his suffering. Eliphaz replies that Job, who has comforted other people, now reveals that he never actually knew their pain. Eliphaz concludes that Job's pain must be due to some sin. Job has acted and recommends Job to seek God's favor. Bildad and Zophar agreed that Job must have performed evil to provoke God's justice and argue that he should attempt to manifest more innocent behavior. Bildad supposes that Job's children brought their deaths upon themselves. Even worse, Zophar suggests that whatever wrongdoing Job has done, he likely deserves more suffering than what he has experienced. So Job reacts to each of these remarks, becoming so angry that he calls his sympathizers worthless physicians who whitewash with lies. 
He questions why God judges people by their deeds if God can just as easily change or forgive their behavior. It is confusing to Job how a human can truly satisfy God's justice as his ways are mysterious and exceed human comprehension. Furthermore, humans cannot possibly convince God with their words. God cannot be fooled, and Job confesses that he does not even know himself well enough to adequately defend his care to God. Job desires for someone who can mediate between himself and God or be sent to show the dark space of the dead. Job believes that there is a witness or a redeemer in heaven who will testify for his integrity. The suffering shows too much for Job and he turns bitter, anxious, and scared. He deplores the injustice that God lets evil people thrive while he and many other honest people suffer. Job wants to face God and protest, but cannot physically find God. He assumes the wisdom is concealed from humans, but he decides to persevere in seeking wisdom by fearing God and evading evil. God eventually intervenes, commanding Job to be brave and explains various detailed features of his creation. Overcome by the appearance of God, Job recognizes God's infinite power and accepts the constraints of his human understanding. This response pleases God, but he is upset with Elphaz, Bildad, and Zophar for emitting lousy advice. Job reconciles on their behalf, and God forgives them. God then restores Job's health, granting him twice as much property as before, new children, and a remarkably long life. In the end, Job never completely gave up hope of faith or in God as an inspiration to everyone enduring suffering of their own. So next, I'd like to play you a song. It's called Jesus Be Near to Me by Tommy Walker Ministries. And here it is.
great song and here's what Tommy said regarding this song. He said this song is a desperate prayer for Jesus to reveal himself. I wrote it after I led worship for a service in which I felt like nothing good had happened. That of course was not true but it is what caused me to write this melody and lyrics. After that experience I was just asking God to show up in a tangible way. The problem was, I had in my mind a specific way I thought he was going to reveal himself, and because I had that picture stuck in my head, I was missing God's manifestation. 
The fact was, his revelation was being shown all around me. The lyrics in the bridge of this song say, Through the thunderous storm or the still of the morning, through a wondrous sign or a word in the nighttime, through your unchanging truth, through the breath of your spirit, in my questions and pain, whisper words of your love always the same. My prayer is that this song will help you be on the lookout for the ways God is ready to speak and reveal himself to you. It could be through something silly your child says, or the birds singing outside. It could be an encouraging word from a friend, through a Bible verse, through a worship song that pops in your head. Or God may speak his most profound truth to you during your greatest pain or tragedy. Be open, be listening and watching. He is in fact near to you at this very moment and ever speaking. From Psalm 27.9, David cries out, Don't hide yourself from me. Don't be angry with me. Don't turn your servant away. You have been my help. Don't leave me. Don't abandon me, O God, my Savior. Life has a way of distracting us and keeping us away from the moments that God gives us. One issue leads to another issue, and the urgent thing keeps demanding our attention so that the important things are left to later. We end up in a kind of survival mode where we just get through the day and sometimes wish the time away. We can even get to the point that we say when we are done with this, then we'll start enjoying life. I have tried to be a visionary person. I have been involved in ministry and the things that concern God's kingdom. Recently, as we face our own challenges as a family, I have begun to see that life is not only about tomorrow, but it is more about today and what God wants to do today. Living one day at a time isn't always easy, but it's what God has told us to do. In his recipe for our lives, it reminds me of the old hymn, Moment by moment I'm kept in his love, moment by moment of life from above. Looking to Jesus, still glory doth shine, moment by moment, O Lord, I am thine. We have a family friend, and he told us that he always wrote the following statement in his annual diary. There are only two days in my life, this day and that day when I will see him face to face. This is how we are called to live our lives. So many people choose to live in the past. It almost as though the good old days were the best days and so we live in that place. We all know someone who lives in this way. They can tell you the dates and times and precious and wonderful memories and they almost carry a form of sadness because they think that the future can never be as good as the past. Living in this way is like dragging dead baggage through the present and into the future. We do not have this precious memories of life that add to the rich fabric of life, but how did God tell us to live our lives? From Isaiah 43:18, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Living in the past is not the way God designed us to live. In fact, we are told to be radical about dealing with the past. The words the Bible uses are forget and do not dwell. God tells us this because in him we have so much more to look forward to. He wants to do new and wonderful things in our lives. Isaiah 43:19 
See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. With the Lord in our lives, the best is yet to come. And some people live in the future. They focus on the possibilities and pitfalls that could and may lie ahead. They usually have a goal and they are headed towards that goal. When I'm finished school, then I will start living. When I get my degree, then I will start living. When I get married, then I will start living. When I have children, then I will start living. When the children are out of the house, then I will start living. When I retire, then I will start living. The joy they are longing for is elusive thing that somehow and somewhere will make itself visible one day out there in tomorrow. The thing about the future is that it is completely unknown and it is never guaranteed. When we live in tomorrow, we are truly putting our hope in nothing. Other people feel compelled to pull tomorrow's cares and concerns into today. They can't just leave it in God's hands, but they have to carry concerns about which they know nothing and burden today with them. When we live in the future, our guiding companion can be fear itself. The Lord has not given us the strength for tomorrow today. So we talked earlier about Exodus 16, and in this, God provided what the people needed on a daily basis. Each day they could collect and use what there was available. None could be kept for the following day. No amount of what God has provided for a specific day could be hoarded and kept for the next day or later use. Again, out of Exodus 16, 19, and 20, Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. What is it with that causes us to hoard? I don't know if you've ever met a hoarder, someone who stores up unnecessary and often useless things. It is often done in secret. Hoarding often flows out of fear and forgiveness about God's faithfulness. Hoarding can exhaust us. Habakkuk 2.13, the nations exhaust themselves for nothing. When we lose sight of God and his promised daily provision, we can get caught up in this mindset. The antidote is trusting. We need to rest and remember and remind ourselves of his faithfulness. From Exodus 16.23 and 24, this is what the Lord had commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it till morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded. And it did not stink or get maggots in it. The Sabbath was a day to remember and rest in the process what was gathered lasted. When it comes to the eternal things of God, those we can gather and they will last. Matthew six nineteen and 20, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Charles Studd wrote the following, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. From Psalm 68:19, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Three thoughts to remember. One, daily. 
The original Hebrews indicates that the benefits come on a day-by-day basis. Number two, benefits. The benefits include his kindness, goodness, and his provision. The benefits, besides being our practical daily needs, is ultimately God himself. His benefits knows no limits. He could come through for you in a variety of ways. He gave his children manna in the desert. He opened up the sea in front of them so they could cross. The Lord knows of the paths and ways of doing things that we haven't even thought of. And number three, loads us. When something comes in loads, it does not just mean the bare essentials. It means all we need, more than enough, and enough that we can turn can be a blessing to others. But it all comes back to the key phrase, daily. It does not say monthly or annually or when the need arises or when your ship comes in. We simply have to trust him each and every day. So we live in a world dominated by fear, anxiety, depression, and stress, and these all relate to the future. Our Lord's advice to us is that we have nothing to do with the future. Each day has its own requirements, needs, pressures, success, joys, and griefs. God will always give us strength we need for the day and for all the places in that day in his purpose and plan to work all things out for our good. So Charles Kingley wrote the following, Do today's duty, fight today's temptation, and do not weaken and distract yourself by looking forward to the things we cannot see and could not understand if you saw them. Jesus said the following, Give us this day our daily bread, from Matthew 6:11. So I'm going to end today's episode on one of my favorite prayers, and it's the serenity prayer. And I'm going to read you the whole serenity prayer, and here it is. God, grant me this serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and ever in the next. Amen. So that does bring in our end of our episode today. And again, my closing prayer as always is that God blesses the journey you're on with him and that you embrace that path. So next week's episode is going to be on Simon Peter and his conversation with Jesus after Jesus rose. So you can connect with me at positivelightpodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. In fact, anywhere you download your podcast, you can give Positive Life for free. So I hope everybody had a great week. God bless, and we'll catch you next week.